Hello everyone and welcome to the last episode of Season 3. So good to have you here. If you're joining us for the first time, I would encourage you to go back to the start of Season 3. The good thing about Season 3 is that it's not chronologically linked to the first two seasons. So if you are new to this podcast, you don't have to have listened to the first two seasons to understand this book that's being read to you because it's a standalone novel. If you enjoy what you hear during the course of this season, I would encourage you to go back and check out season one, then season two, because those are chronologically linked. Basically, for those of you who are new, I'm just going to break down the episode for you. What we do is we read a chapter to you from the book, in this case being Abattoir Black. Then we go into a section known as the Origin of Ideas, where we give sort of like a director's cut from a film. But for the book, the chapter that's been read to you, we break down the ideas that were involved in the forming of that chapter. Then we go into a section known as Tips of the Trade, where, as it says, I discuss Tips of the Trade for those of you who are aspiring to be authors or those of you who are already authors just looking for that little bit extra. Of course, those of you who have been coming to Ignite the Flame Audio all three seasons, welcome to you. So good to have you here. Of course, all the way throughout this season, there is a disclaimer that we've been mentioning throughout the course of this season. And specifically with these last three episodes, the disclaimer has come with a heightened warning. So throughout the course of this season, we've emphasized the point if you are below the age of 12, this season is not for you because the graphic content contained within this season is not appropriate. I don't feel that it's appropriate for your particular age group. With that being said, those of you who are of the age of 12 and above, these last three episodes, this episode and the two episodes previous to this, the graphic content has somewhat increased and so that age restriction may no longer be at 12 years. Of course, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I'm only going off of my own personal experience because there isn't an age rating system in place for books. I don't know why, but there isn't. So what I'm doing is I'm basing it off of my own experience, what I was subject to at the age of 12, and sort of basing it off of that. So I advise you throughout the course of this particular episode and the two prior episodes, use your best discretion. If at any point you feel that the content is too mature, if you feel that the content is making you feel ill or making you scared, making you feel sick, stop immediately Stop listening to the episode and walk away, at least until the point where you are of an age where you feel like you are able to handle that content. If you're not sure, have someone of the age of 18 and above, preferably a parent or a carer, listen to the content first. And if they deem it necessary, if they feel like it's appropriate for your age range, then go off their decision. Because what we don't want is for you to end up scared or you to be made ill because of the content in this chapter that's being read to you, because it's inappropriate for your particular age group. So what I'm asking, guys, is just to be responsible, be mature. If there is anyone less than the age of 12 in your vicinity, if there's anyone around you of that particular age, I would advise you to get them out of earshot, ask them to leave the room, make sure that they're not subject to the content either, because we don't want the people around you being negatively affected And we don't want you being negatively affected by this chapter. As I've said, guys, keep each other safe. Keep yourself safe. Know your limits because we want to keep you safe and we want you to enjoy the content that's being read to you. If at any point you find it's too much, it's too scary, it's too sickening. As I've said before, stop immediately. Stop listening. Turn it off and come back to it when you're of an age where you can handle it. 
And like I said, those of you who are mature listeners, do the responsible thing. And if there's anyone within earshot that you feel inappropriate for them to listen to, usher them out of the room, pop your headphones in, and let's be responsible and keep them safe for as long as possible. Okay, guys, that about sums it up. So let's go ahead and get into it. I'm Wayne Telford, and I'll see you on the other side. Welcome to Ignite the Flame Audio, where our hope is to bring people together one word at a time. Follow me, Wayne Telford, into the depths of your imagination. Abattoir Black, Chapter 7 An Eerie Silence The barn doors open, and all manner of pigs, horses, sheep, dogs, rats, crows, chickens, and cattle pour into the room. They surround Officer Raymond as the gates are slammed shut and are bolted from the outside by the shepherd. Officer Raymond, realising the fate which he faces, can only fall to his knees and welcome them as they consume his body, tearing at him like a pack of wolves, pulling flesh from bone, organ from cadaver, and tissue from skull, as his nose and eyes are pecked out. His vertebrae are gripped and pulled from his back by the collie, as they are ripped from his spinal cord and sinew. His innards are released as a dam breaks upon the floor. Heart and lungs fall into the jaws of the sheep, whilst the liver and kidneys are prized and fought over by the swine. His legs and lower body are devoured by the rats which clamber over him, polishing the bone as if to prize every last morsel. Completely mesmerized by their bloodlust, they fail to see that the cable, falling to their side, ignites the fuel. The floor bursts into spontaneous combustion and sets all the animals ablaze as they mindlessly continue to feed, sublimely ignorant of the danger around them. All their senses are blurred, and natural behaviour is removed. It is replaced by this uncontrollable thirst. As the barn burns, the smoke can be seen above the trees and even further up, reaching almost to the heavens themselves. Carrying the fallen souls with each plume, faces are distorted, and forlorn figures reveal farmland's true intentions as far as the eye can see. For farmland had been ridden once again, and the thirst for new blood had begun. As the ash falls and the smoke blots out the sun, a figure walks away from the pillar of grey, carrying a young piglet in his arms, and as he reveals himself, I can clearly see the blood in the eyes of the young boar, matching that which now stains young Samson's once pure lips. As I focus outward from farmland, I ask you this, dear reader, do you remember that owl I spoke of, which nestled in the barn? Well, I hope you realize now just how this story came to you. As you can clearly see, the blood even stains my beak from time to time. And welcome to the Origin of Ideas section of this podcast. Basically, this is the section of the podcast where we discuss the ideas that have come forth in the chapter that's just been read to you and break them down. So because this chapter was pretty short... We're just going to give some fun factoids as well as go over the points that were actually made in the chapter. So getting started off, the first point is that the actual story itself is called Abattoir Black. Now this was basically a title that was changed from the original. The original title of the book was initially supposed to be Farmland, but then it was changed to Abattoir Black because Farmland was already a title. It was already taken by a novel. Keep in mind a few titles for your work, just in case that ever crops up. It always helps to have several titles for the same book, just in case someone else has 
already taken that title, you've got something else to refer to. The second point is that this story, as we mentioned in the previous season, was written in two days, the same as Scarcrow, the story that was read to you in the previous season. These two books, Scarcrow and Abattoir Black, were both written in those two days. So in essence, we wrote two books in two days. Any sort of issues with process or you sort of go through the story and you notice with Scarcrow, there's lots of things that don't quite make sense. There's a lot of jumping between positions. And even in Abattoir Black, we see that there's plenty to criticise. It's probably down to that process, the fact that they were both written in two days. Obviously, that doesn't excuse making mistakes. I'm always going to make mistakes. Part and parcel of being a writer, it's part and parcel of being human. But it's just nice to know that it is possible. I wouldn't recommend writing books in two days because the process is rushed and you end up with something that doesn't come out as good as you expected. But it is nice sometimes to challenge yourself. The third point is that we see throughout the story that it's been told from a third person narrative, sort of this omniscient presence where we've been able to tell the thoughts of different characters. And then in the last moment, toward the end of the chapter, it subverts into a first person perspective. And you're told that the whole story has been narrated by the owl that was mentioned in the first chapter. As the story opens, we describe a lone owl that used to roost in the barn and then we sort of take the story to Scotland Yard and then we go through the whole process of the story and then reveal to you at the end that the owl is this omniscient presence. Now, obviously, in natural terms, an owl wouldn't be omniscient. They wouldn't be able to tell what people are thinking. But in this case, what we've done is we've subverted the whole third-person narrative into a first-person narrative being told from the perspective of this owl. And the fact that it has an omniscient ability sort of touches upon a theme which we are going to develop in future novels should they have the chance to be published and should they have the chance to be put here on the podcast, which we'll see further fleshed out. At this time, I don't want to ruin anything, but it is a theme that the owl that was telling this story isn't necessarily of this particular reality, and I'll leave it at that. The fourth point is that we see the final plot twist. Basically, that the architect behind all of the killings, the architect behind the whole setup of having these people meticulously killed and fed to the animals was Samson all along. Just in case you're sort of wondering how could Samson do this, throughout the whole story, we've given, we've sort of alluded to the fact that he's that particular character he's been the shepherd all along because in the beginning Samson is the last person to see Elizabeth Reigns which this whole story starts on the disappearance of Elizabeth Reigns he was the last person to see her alive and he's very sort of he's very distant with his recollections his stories are crossed and that's the first thing that Officer Raymond notices and he puts it down to oh it was the trauma that's the first flag We then notice that every time Officer Raymond goes to discover something, Samson's always running off. He's always making sure that he's not there when these things are found. That's the second flag. He makes sure that he's kept abreast of the case as it develops because he he often comes back after Officer Raymond's discovered something and he's the one also suggesting actions for Officer Raymond to take so that he can guide him down the right process. So that's the third flag. The fact that he disappears during the final confrontation, during the whole confrontation, he's not there. There's no mention to him whatsoever when they fight the animals. That's the fourth flag. And then the final point is when 
Chaplin turns around and he gives exposition on the background story of Farmland. And he says that Farmland has been started anew. The sun has come back after running away and he would be oh about 23 years of age and we hear that reference mentioned earlier in the book when one of the characters turns around and says we're not responsible for Samson because he's 23 years old he can he's an adult he can basically do what he wants and so that's a way to sort of link that up as well so that's the fifth and final flag Chaplin turns around and says that he hasn't been the big bad all this time, that he works for a shepherd. He describes himself as the dog to the shepherd. And I would rather be at the shepherd's right side than in his way sort of thing. All the while, we've been setting up throughout the story that Chaplin is merely a pawn. And it's finally revealed that Samson is the shepherd behind it all as he sort of walks away from the pillar of smoke, carrying this piglet that's obviously already got this bloodlust. And that sort of leads into the fifth and final point where we've left it open-ended Basically to suggest that the philosophy of good overcoming evil once and for all, it sort of nullifies it. Because without evil, there can be no good. It's the same as why crime will never be completely gotten rid of. Because without crime, there would be no need for justice. Without immorality, there would be no need for morality. So even though we know distinctly that there should come a day where evil is no longer present, it sort of nullifies our perception of good and evil. Regardless of whether good wins or evil wins, it's a continuous battle that will last forever because the universe, whether you believe it in a sense of accident or whether you believe it's fate, they have to be in a continuous sense of balance. So you'll have these to and fro battles between good and evil, but there will never be one side bettering the other as such, even though a lot of ideologies proclaim that. There will never be a complete overcoming of evil. There will never be a complete victory for good, because as soon as that happens, there will no longer be any good. The perception of good will fade away, and there will be no more perception of any kind of morality. There'll be no perception of good or evil. So with this open-ended story, not only does it give us the opportunity to return to it should we choose to, but it also basically speaks, like I say, of a larger philosophy that no matter how hard you try, neither side is going to win. There's no one side that's going to prevail over the other because should they do so completely, they'll basically make themselves extinct. Okay, that about sums it up for this section. Let's go ahead and get into the next one. And welcome to the tips of the trade section of this podcast. Basically, this is the section of the podcast where, as it says, we give tips of the trade for those of you who are aspiring to be authors or those of you who are already authors just looking for that little bit extra. So today we're going to round off the season by discussing more of a topic in the mentality of writing in the sense of self-doubt and how to overcome it. Now, I just want to make quick reference to where we got inspiration for this particular tip from. It comes from a novel by Joanna Penn, and it's called The Successful Author Mindset. I highly recommend it. It's a fantastic handbook for surviving the writer's journey. Really good. If you're more into podcasts... Be sure to head on over to the Creative Pen podcast. We'll include links in the description below for that, for anyone who's interested. But I can't recommend this book enough. And basically, it goes through all the different mindsets that you'll encounter as a writer and how to overcome them. She sort of gives antidotes to the particular problems that you encounter as a writer. So we're going to discuss self-doubt. I'm not going to pinch any of the tips from that particular book. I'm going to base it on our own experience as we always do but I just thought I'd make reference to that book because 
if there's anything, any further questions you have after this particular tip section, then you can go ahead and listen to that podcast or even purchase that book. So dealing with self-doubt, it's part and parcel of the process. Now, whether it's part of the creative process in the sense that you start doubting your own ability to write, you start doubting yourself, you know, can I write a book? Am I good enough to write a book? Am I good enough to have that book published? The way to overcome self-doubt in my own personal experience is to ask yourself, what if? Now, the thing to remember with not taking any risks or not taking any chances is the outcome is guaranteed. If you don't do anything, the outcome is guaranteed that you're not going to do anything. You're not going to succeed. Your failure rate is 100% because you're not giving the opposite choice. You're distinctly saying, no, I'm not even going to try. And if you don't try, you're automatically going to fail because there's nothing to offer up as an attempt at trying. Whereas if you actually give yourself the benefit of confidence and you actually give it a chance, yes, it narrows it to a 50-50 chance, but at least that's a 50% chance of something happening. It's a 50% chance of something going right, which if it does, then you have something to credit yourself for. You have something to credit for the people that have supported you the whole way. So I would recommend whenever you're in a state of self-doubt, Try to take the risk. As difficult as it might be, you might have overcoming doubts. I myself do as a writer. I have self-doubt in pretty much the majority of aspects of our life. But the thing to remember is if you don't try, then you're guaranteed failure. You're guaranteed not to succeed. If you have a go, yes, all right, you're not guaranteed to succeed, but at least you're giving yourself a chance to. And that's better than not giving yourself any chance at all, in my opinion. So self-doubt is evident throughout the whole creative process, whether, as I've said, you know, you're in the planning stages, whether you're in the writing stages, whether it's publishing, and a lot of things can knock your confidence, whether it's criticism, whether it's not being published, whether your manuscript's projected. But if there's something just to encourage you, J.K. Rowling, the author of the very world-famous Harry Potter series, her initial manuscript for The Philosopher's Stone, the first Harry Potter book, that was rejected by a publisher 16 times before it was finally accepted. I take great encouragement from that, knowing that a world bestseller like J.K. Rowling, she was rejected 16 times before she found the manuscript being accepted by a publisher. I bet those 16 that rejected her are now kicking themselves because of it. But that's just the nature of writing. It's the nature of publishers and what they believe will sell and what they believe the market needs. So take the risk. Keep persevering. Overcome self-doubt. Give yourself the opportunity to prove yourself wrong and prove other people wrong because I'm not guaranteeing that you will be successful. As I've mentioned throughout the majority of these tip sections, there's no guarantee that your work is going to be successful. There's no guarantee you'll make it. There's no guarantee that you're going to become rich or famous. But if you give yourself the opportunity, then it just might happen. There's a 50% chance that it just might happen. And if it does you think back on it, it's because you gave yourself that opportunity. You took the risk and it paid off. Whereas if you don't take that risk, you know that it's never going to happen. And so to overcome self-doubt, it's relatively an easy fix. Take a risk on yourself. Take a risk on the people that believe in you. Surround yourself with people that are confident, people that are going to build you up, give you courage, encourage you in the process and keep trying, keep persevering, keep giving yourself that chance. Because if you break through, and if you make it, then all of that struggle will be worth it.
If you don't give your chance and you give in to self-doubt and you never write that book, you never publish that book, then the world is robbed of the potential of having your story, which I think degrades the world as a whole. Because your story deserves to be told. Your story deserves to be published. So give yourself the chance. Take the risk. Give yourself a 50-50 chance, the flip of a coin. But that might be all the difference that means that you might just become successful. And who knows, you might just become the next world bestseller. And I hope that you do. Okay, that about sums it up for this section. And that's it for season three. Once again, guys, thank you for tuning in. Really means the world to us that you would take time out of your otherwise busy schedule just to make us a part of it. Hopefully you've enjoyed this season. And if you've enjoyed what you've seen this season and you're new to this season, be sure to head on back to the first and second season and hopefully you'll have a similar experience. Of course, we'll endeavour to include all the links in the description to any of the references that have been made during the course of this episode. Right now, we're going to take some time, as we have been doing across this season, just to promote a project done by a personal friend of ours, Brandon Taylor, known as Taylor's Trades. Now, as we've said throughout the course of this season, what it is, is Brandon offers a middleman service, sort of like a courier service, that delivers goods. It allows you to buy, sell and trade goods safely all across the United Kingdom. He operates from Southampton and he's delivered £400,000 worth of goods already. And he's received a thousand references, over a thousand references, most of which positive reviews. And what he does is he allows you to buy, sell and trade goods without having to worry about things like postage and packing. And it just gives you a safe courier service that allows you to deposit goods or buy goods all across the United Kingdom. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, we'll include links to his various pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc., in the description below. And if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, be sure to head on over there, and I'm sure Brand would be happy to hear from you. As always, guys, thank you for tuning in. Once again, I hope that you've really got something out of this season. As always, it's the reason that we do this in the first place, hoping that you get something out of it, whether you take away some of the tips, whether you just enjoy listening to the vocal performances, or whether you just enjoy the podcast in general. It really means a lot to me personally, that you would take time out of your busy schedule to make this podcast part of your life. You know, it's one of the reasons why we do this in the first place. And I just thank you that your continued patronage just ensures that we keep going. So once again, guys, thank you very much. Whatever you're planning on doing today, go out there and smash it. Have a great day. Have a better week. And know that your best is always good enough. Thank you guys again. I'm Wayne Telford. And I'll see you next time.